We're in the book of 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there in the fourth chapter uh, in your Bibles. Um, we'll get there in just a minute. Deliverance. Uh, do you love stories of deliverance, salvation, uh, rescue? Um, how many movies have been uh, produced that show stories where somebody got in a real pickle, uh, a real tight spot, and then all of a sudden it all works out and they get out of it? We love stories of God's deliverance. I mean, just look at the Bible. Think of the Bible. How many stories of deliverance are scattered throughout the Bible? Well, we talked about it last week. Daniel from the lion's den. Those three Hebrews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. We remember that Joseph was delivered from prison and became second in command in all of the land. And uh, there's the, the deliverance of the children of Israel themselves. You know, uh, God sent Moses and he parted the sea. He swallowed up Pharaoh's army. He led them into the promised land. There's deliverance deliverance. We love those stories. And this Bible is full of them about how God shows his glory by delivering the helpless and the captive and the desperate. It's just what he does, right? It's just what he's done in your life. It's just what he's done in my life. And most likely you have your story of deliverance. In the book of Psalms, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a story of deliverance that's uh, told in Psalm uh, 116. I want to give you a flavor of it because Paul references this in the passage we're going to read from 2 Corinthians today. His first century readers in the Corinthian church would have recognized when Paul references Psalm 116, they would have immediately recognized it because it's one of those psalms that is from the um, Hebrew halal, which is read at every Passover. And they would have heard it all their life, every year, the entire psalm read. And so I want to give you a flavor of this psalm of deliverance because Paul is going to use it. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. I like this, this translation for this particular psalm. It reads like this. I love the Lord because He hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because He bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. And then I called in the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Maybe you need to hear that today. The Lord is gracious, he's compassionate. And no matter how rough the seas get, no matter how bad things are, you can call on the name of the Lord and uh, there is this, uh, this ironclad guarantee that He hears our prayers. It says that He bends down. He has inclined His ear towards us. You know, and as we sang earlier, His love never never fails. If you go on and read in that Psalm 116, verse 10, he, he, he kind of culminates and he says, I believed, so I spoke. In other words, I proclaimed my faith. I know that my God is able. I know that He has rescued me. Therefore, I can speak that into this situation that I am facing today. Faith driving the cry of the psalmist. 
And the Apostle Paul has uh, he's given us a lot of detail in these first three and a half or so uh, chapters of the book of the afflictions that he has suffered. I think it was over in the first chapter where he says, I even despair, it got so bad I despaired of life itself. I, I, I knew this was it. I was going to die. And it's hard to imagine that many of us, if any, have been in such desperate life or death situations that Paul had encountered. It's important to remember that as the context for this passage. But he, he summons the the spirit of Psalm 116. And he writes this in our passage today. But having the same spirit of faith, he's referring to Psalm 116. According to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. And here Paul is giving us two reasons for his witness, his ministry, and I would say that it's the same for every believer in Christ. It's uh, two reasons why we do what we do. Two reasons why we do what we do in the world. And the first one is that we have a track record. God has a track record in us. We can look back and see what God has done. And first Paul in this passage is looking back and he's looking at the times that Jesus had delivered him. And we've seen many of them throughout these first parts of the book. There's a track record of God's deliverance in his past. And he draws on that as this motivation that God has done it before. God will do it again. And there's this God who is able to raise the Lord Jesus from the dead. So he is able to apply that same power into the situation that I face today. And perhaps you face something similar. Perhaps there's a, a problem going on and you just need a resurrection today. You need something of the power of God to come and intervene. And so the question is, do you believe as the psalmist, as the apostle, and therefore you can proclaim faith. I will speak right in the midst of what I'm going through. I remember when Cindy and I were told that we'd never have uh, biological kids. God intervened. He delivered us. He raised up two adopted kids. I remember a time in my life where I wondered if God would ever give me a place of ministry again. And he intervened. And he raised up a, uh, a special relationship with this church. That started 15 years ago. <laughs> Today. First Sunday of August, 2003. And because of this history, 
of deliverance and just restoration. We can say, I believe. I believe. Therefore, I will speak forth in faith that my God, He can handle this. You know, the second reason in that passage that we do what we do is because of God's grace through us. And He has a track record in us. We can see what He's done in our own personal lives, but we also see that God's grace has been flowing through us. Paul says, all things are for your sakes, church, so that the spreading grace will cause thanksgiving and bring glory to God. In other words, there are more and more people who are finding out how amazing he is, and it's contagious. There's just more and more people. You mean he's that good? People encounter the real grace of God, and they're, they're floored by it. They're changed by it. They're delivered, and they tell others, and it's it's like this amazing new thing that is just absolutely unbelievable. Did you hear? Did you hear? God loves us. I know, I know I've done all these things that I'm not proud of, and, and He knows all about them. He doesn't care. <laughs> he accepts me. He's willing to change me. He loves me no matter what I've done. In fact, get this, He adores me. He adores me. I just think we make it far too complicated sometimes. God rescues us from sin, from depression, from hopelessness, from guilt, from sorrow, and then we just simply tell our stories of how He did it and how incredible it is. And that's the foundation of the following verses, which are going to go into a series of contrasts that, 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 that go well into chapter 5. Like two sides of a coin, over and over and over, he says. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. We don't lose heart, which means to not lose hope, because we understand the reality of what's going on. And you see the word therefore, beginning the verse, so it means what it was coming before is now attached to what is coming, and Paul had gone through all these afflictions, and for a lot of people, the afflictions would have depressed and discouraged and defeated them, but he says it's because of those afflictions that I'm being renewed day by day. I'm being delivered. He's saying we expect opposition in this world. It's not going to defeat us. We expect it. We expect affliction. We expect, we expect problems. But God's track record of deliverance strengthens us. Now he talks about our physical bodies here. And he says we expect to get old. There are two realities about the delivered. We expect that one day we will get out of bed in the morning and there will be some additional aches and pains. Right? Some of you here have no idea what I'm talking about. We expect at some point in our life the skin might begin to wrinkle. We expect that one day our hair will change color. Or perhaps location, I don't know. Right? Right? 
So the first reality about not only the delivered, but every person that has ever walked the planet, physical, physical decay is unavoidable. I, I know that's not good news for some of you today. Some of you are trying really hard to delay that, I know, but uh, it is inevitable. But I love this verse. And maybe it's the older I get, the more I love this verse. <laughs> Amid the physical decay, life is getting better and better. It's something quite different, quite the opposite is going on inside. It says we're being renewed day by day by day. And the word renewed means to be renovated. You, you and I are being renovated day in and day out. Something that has been old or dirty or broken is being changed into something refreshed, renewed. Something new is going on and it happens every day. So we see the body taking one path and we see the spirit taking the opposite. It reminds me of this mere Christianity quote by C.S. Lewis. Imagine yourself as a living house, he writes. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. <laughs> he's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you are not surprised. Been there? Oh, but presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to you to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? You ever wondered that? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace because he intends to come and live there himself. Don't you love C.S. Lewis? <laughs> Daily renovation is available. We're constantly growing in our detachment from worldly things and attachment to things that matter, eternal things. Things that used to depress us and uh, we're now handled in stride because we know what's going on. Our spiritual house is under construction. Day by day, renovation. He takes, the, he takes these comparisons a little bit deeper now. Verse 17, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Two perspectives on affliction. The first perspective is that all affliction for the Christ-delivered person is momentary and light. Now, how does that make you feel today? It's critical to remember the context, because you might have offense with uh, Paul describing your problem that way. What's the context of Paul's writing? He has been through the worst of it. He's not only suffered physically, he's, he's faced the most fierce opposition from his own people, the Jewish people, calling him a heretic. 
And so when he is saying that our momentary light affliction, when he's characterizing that, he's not meaning to trivialize our pain because he's been through the worst of it. But he is saying that the the deliverance that he has experienced, this ongoing work of grace, this constant inward renewal of Christ, has made even the worst of human circumstances seem momentary, seem light. And he is talking about the most and uh, difficult of situations. I mean, perhaps you have experienced something where you've lost your only source of income, or your house is burned, or you get a doctor's report that signals a difficult future. You lose someone you love. In Paul's case, imprisonment, beatings, torture. The context is the worst of human experience. How will you look at those times in your life? You may read Paul's words today and you think of your troubles or things you've been through and, uh, and he says temporary Light and, and you just want to you just want to take objection to that. You don't know what I'm going through. Let me give you perspective. Let me ask you a question. How will you look at your current problem if you could a thousand years from now? When you've been in heaven all that time. That, uh, that job loss back in 2018 really hurt my feelings. All these thousands of years later, in spite of all these golden streets, and this beautiful mansion that Jesus went away and prepared for me, I'm, in spite of it, I'm still bitter. Of course you're not going to think that, right? If you were able to look back, you would think, why did I get so upset over that? In light of eternity, it was so what? It was so momentary. It was so light. It just wasn't the big deal I made of it. The second perspective about affliction is that it brings overwhelming glory. He calls our light affliction, he calls our affliction light, but then he, he, he counters that by saying that it produces heavy, weighty glory. It, 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 it's like your affliction is like a really skinny, skinny dude. <laughs> okay? Compared to this, this huge, fat glory of God. I mean, he's using weight terms here. It's in the, the worst of situations that the, the glory of God is most revealed and uh, just overwhelms it. Can I give you the best example in human history? 
He'd been hanging on the cross for about six hours. The skies were dark and the moon blood red and his followers were weeping, his enemies cheering and jeering. Suddenly, piercing through the darkness, came his voice. It is finished. And he died. And at that moment, the ground shook. The cheering stopped. The weeping took a reprieve. As those present marveled at what they saw, graves were opened and death lost its grip as people rose. A sound could be heard from the temple, a ripping, a tearing sound as the curtain, the barrier between God and man was split down the middle. Even a Roman soldier could be heard saying, surely this was the Son of God. Yet, it all died down as they took him to the, from the cross and laid him in the tomb. But that scene on Friday was merely the opening act because Sunday was coming. Out of the darkest night in human history rose the light of day and the glory of God as Jesus ran out of the grave. And he has been turning puny darkness to overwhelming glory ever since. Do you see problems? or opportunities for glory. The last verse. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There's two ways of looking at things. The first is that the visible, what you see, will pass. My mind often thinks about weird things, okay? <laughs> but I wonder how Paul would react to what's going on in our world today. Wouldn't you love to have just, a, just dropkick Paul from the first century to here? And hear what he has to say? I mean, do you think that Paul would be fearful about socialism? Or Iran? Or North Korea? Do you think the apostle uh, would be doing everything he could to alert people to the infringement that's, on their, that's happening to their rights today? I wonder how much time the apostle would give to things like climate change or social injustice or world peace. All temporary, all visible, passing away. So how do you look at things? And I'm not just talking about these big global things. What about the things that happen to you personally? I hope we can see the tremendous value it is to us when we give our attention to the unseen spiritual things happening rather than what we see, feel, and touch. Because folks, when our focus is in the here and now, in the visible world, we can come to all kinds of wrong conclusions. We can start believing things that just simply are not true. I mean, people say things like, oh, this, this job loss is devastating, I, or, or this job is devastating, I wish I could lose it. <laughs> I can read the doctor's report, 
I hear what he says, it's not good. But if your truth is derived from what you see here, you get to wrong conclusions. God must not care. There's no hope. I can't go through this. God's turned his back on me. We just need to make a decision. We need to decide, I'm going to refuse to look at what I can see. Did I say that right? Yes. I'm going to refuse to look at what I can see. I see the situation, but what I don't see visibly about the situation is what is really true about the situation. Something spiritual is going on here. God's doing something. God's working. It's unseen, but it's more real. The other thing is the, vis- the invisible will last. It changes how you view problems, afflictions, and disappointments. I'll always remember what Michael Wells said. He's gone to be with Jesus, and uh, he's been here several times. But he said, you know, I, I have problems. I'm just like you, I have problems. And he would tell us a story, and he would tell us about a problem, and then he would always respond the same way. He would just say, well, Amen. No reason to let the temporary stuff of the world wreck us now, is there? The car breaks down again. Well, amen. Someone falsely accuses you of something. Well, amen. You see, it's just a recognition. I understand the temporary for what it is. I understand the scene for what it is. I choose to place my faith in something that is eternal, that is unseen. I'm not going to let this destroy what this is doing in me. Jesus has not come, folks. And hear, hear this, if you hear nothing else, hear this. Jesus had, did not come to make your temporary, worldly existence problem-free. He did not come to make the world a utopian society of world peace. No, He did not. He came with an eternal agenda of deliverance. And so the question is obvious. Do you need deliverance today? He is a God who rescues the dying. He saves the lost. He sets prisoners free. His work is in you. Are you open to the renovation? I love the wing here, the tower there, the courtyard. Will you stop giving so much attention to the temporal world problems. So you can see the overwhelming glory of this eternal kingdom. Do you need deliverance?
Bow your head with me, please. No doubt, uh, throughout this crowd today, there are those who would say, you know, Pastor, there are things that I've just grown accustomed to and they're besetting me and they discourage me and they keep me from enjoying the hope that God wants for me. They keep, in, they keep me from uh, walking into the spirit of renewal. And I need His intervention today. I need His work in my life. I need His deliverance in this. And I wonder as I offer that as an invitation today, if there is response from you, sometimes there is power in response. Just by saying, yeah, there's something in my life that I just, I want to come and I want to just say, I am weak here. I need the strength of God's deliverance. I need God's power in the midst of what's going on in me today. Would you just simply raise your hand? There's probably 20, 30 of you. I want to pray for you before we sing this great song. Father God, in these moments of... Uh, the reality of this passage of Scripture that uh, hits all of us so close to home because we've, we've grown up in this, this, this society that's this, this individualistic, pull-ourselves-up-by-our-own-bootstrap society, this success-driven society, this society that uh, says it's all about me, it's all about me and uh, my happiness and my peace. And, uh, and you call us out of that, Lord, and you call us into a kingdom, a kingdom of transparency, a kingdom of your power, a kingdom of uh, this uh, never-ending work in the internal spirit of our heart. And so I'm praying, Father, for these that are coming to you today and saying, Lord, there's an area that I'm admitting weakness to, and I have uh, perhaps given it my best attempt over the years in my own strength to uh, conquer I want to receive today. I just want to receive the Spirit of Christ in this fresh new way that you are given access and you are redeeming that area of my life that you would bring your power to rest upon my soul here. So Father, we just pray that in these moments that your work would be so real, so encompassing, so overwhelming that we realize who you are and who we really are. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen.